0: What are the greatest challenges and opportunities for leaders in tech today? Join in on the conversation as Linda Griffin, VP Public Policy and SCC patron King, and co-founder of European Tech Alliance, and Mats Granded, Director General of SCC patron GSMA, discuss tech, mobile connectivity, and the greatest questions for policymakers today. My name is Linda Griffin. I run global public policy for a company called King. Uh, King was born between Stockholm and the rest of Europe in 2003. We're one of the largest mobile games developers in the world. I have another hat where I am co-founder of a group called the European Tech Alliance. Uh, The idea behind it is simple. I arrived at King from uh, many years working at Facebook and working for a big Silicon Valley company, I thought moving to a European tech unicorn, the type of uh, reception and conversations I'd be having in places like Brussels would be very different. Um, What I found was that we had this really interesting European tech ecosystem, but it wasn't organized. There's some great, obviously, European tech companies here that are scaling internationally. But we had no input into the policy making process. We weren't organized. We had really no voice. So, one of the reasons I, I and some others founded the European Tech Alliance, which is really just an alliance of companies like King, Spotify, Clarna, Zalando, uh, was to get us organized and input into all the big policy proposals that are coming out, especially from Brussels.
1: I run GSMA, and GSMA is an association of all mobile operators globally. So, it's roughly 750, and that is pretty much everyone Um, but we also have a large tech community that are associated members also so I think we we um take pride in understanding where technology is heading we take pride in understanding what technology can deliver today and predominantly in this in the area of connectivity and how you can use your mobile phone and the extension of that with the introduction of 4g and coming now into 5g we see that the 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 connectivity is uh, influencing much more than just you and me it's influencing society it's influencing how we do business it's influencing industry and how we consume things and i think you're a great example of that how how the mobile phone is being used so it's becoming much wider than what was uh, initially anticipated um so I, I have a long uh, history in telecoms. I've been in, in telecom for 25, 30 years or so. So I uh, started with Ericsson, uh, was there for 15 years, uh, and then moved to uh, Tele2 as the CEO uh, for five years, or five and a half years, and then I've been here now for almost four years. So telecom is sort of in my blood somehow. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So um, wh- what is top of your mind?
0: So I sit in my different roles I suppose between business and government and I think we're at an inflection point in Europe especially. Obviously tech and the issues we'll be talking about today are very much global but I do try and think from a European perspective as much as I can as well because in 2013 there was about five billion dollars invested in European tech. Last year that rose to 23 billion. So we've seen a massive jump in terms of the investment that's coming in from home and abroad. Uh, in the European kind of tech sector. And we're also seeing a new commission, a new parliament, um, very ambitious in terms of creating a true digital single market, ambitious also in creating the blueprint for what they see as rules to govern new technologies, whether that's AI, 5G, uh, the Internet of Things, how that works with data privacy. So I feel like we have a lot of ambitions in Europe in terms of scaling our companies internationally and also writing the rules But I'm very conscious how do we turn our strength for regulation into something that translates into growth and jobs as Mm. well.
1: And and not throw out the technology before we fully have understood the capabilities of it. Because that's Mm. one of the risks that I see, that people are today very afraid of AI, big data analytics, facial recognition, and how we can track people, etc. Used wrongly. It can become yeah. a threat, obviously, for, for integrity and, and privacy, no doubt. But we mustn't sort of mix the two. One is, as, as you rightly said, is the, the power of regulation, the power of actually being a regulated industry where we know where our boundaries are. But the technology can provide so much more. And we have so many examples of where using big data, using AI analytics helps People's lives every day in a very very concrete fashion. Now, would we say, you know what, we can't do that because it has this possible negative effect, mm. which I think would be uh, really bad. And I don't know if you, if you have uh, read a, a science article of a Swiss scientist uh, called Konrad Gessner. No.
0: no.
1: So Konrad Gessner wrote a piece uh, around the uh, the potential harm that too much data, too much information co- can cause us human beings, both physical and mentally. And, and, you know, hand to heart, I, I, that could actually be true. I mean, we might be just overflowing with data and it might be too much for us. Now what you should know is that Konrad Geissner, he died 1526. So what he was referring to was the printing press. There was just too much information coming out with all these books so you know what goes around comes around it's nothing new under the sun
0: absolutely and uh, we're doing a bad job in terms of realizing the benefits of tech and making sure that it doesn't just benefit rich white people um i think it's incumbent on policymakers to organize themselves in a way that they can understand the technologies they're trying to govern. But that's quite difficult because politicians are generally generalists. So how do we get more tech expertise into government? Government doesn't pay the same as tech companies. Mm. How do we create economists or three year projects in terms of getting experts into local as well as national governments? Mm. But I also think the the tech companies, we have, as a community, I think have been so enthusiastic about the services and applications we're building. We've somehow forgotten. We have good intentions, but good intentions, and I speak from bitter experience, are not enough uh, to think about what could be the potential negative outcomes if your product succeeds at scale. Mm. And I think we've got to be more than just... Um, uh, positive um, and believing in our product and feeling like we don't want to do evil, we've actually got to be really robust mm-hmm. and have the systems in internally that where we have superstar engineers who are dreaming up great new ideas, we also have teams of experienced ethicists, um, policy people and others there to understand what the repercussions of success would be, both positive and negative.
1: Yeah, I think we, we should never shy away from having a debate around the negative consequences. I think that's critical because then we would be viewed as naive. And I don't think we are. The industry, we're not naive. Uh, but we do see the power of it. And, and uh, uh, debates such as this or discussions such as this and, and trying to educate regulators and politicians uh, is critical in this. And it's a very difficult space. Massively. Because, because it changes continuously.
0: Well, the, the joy of democracy, <laughs> We this is one of the reasons we set up the European Tech Alliance, was to do the, the basics to help uh, policymakers around Europe understand the business models that we're developing, the technologies we're using, how we're using AI and working with institutions, whether we're using it in really exciting ways or really boring ways just to improve processes. Mm-hmm. Politicians need to understand what's actually happening in the ecosystem and that responsibility is on us um as much as it is on them and i would say it's even more so now on the smaller tech companies that are looking to start and scale up yeah. they won't have the capacity yeah. uh, or the expertise in-house but well, we've got to find a way mm. uh, to make that happen i think that's a big challenge it's not headline grabbing but it's the type of plumbing we need to do to get yeah. the right environment where business and policy makers can yeah. work together and i, and
1: I think what, what you are aspiring to doing in the tech alliance and what we're trying to do within JSMA is to show leadership and i think I- I leadership is critical in this day and age where politicians are sometimes struggling with with how to handle not only technology but also handle the political
0: mm. uh,
1: environment which is super complicated uh, so i think we as business leaders we need to sort of pull up our socks and understand that we need to show leadership we need to uh, take on this is, might sound a little bit too, too heavy, but to take on society and help society along and understand I the, couldn't, the, I couldn't the positive agree with you and more. the negative aspects of technology. And, and I think both you and I, we believe that technology is ultimately here to stay and it's here for good. I mean, it, it's, it, it will bring something good uh, to the
0: table. It should be an enabler and it should be more an enabler that more people can benefit from uh, who look and sound different. Mm. But we do have a long way to go. And I think businesses now, it's not just about returning value to your shareholders. I think it's much more about how do we integrate CSR so it's not just some separate tick box program, but into everything we do, into how we build our business and how we offer our services. And we're starting to see it, but we do have a long way to go. And if you're a public company, quarterly earnings are a big pressure. How we've set up the system makes this quite difficult. But I think it, you're right. It's the only direction we yeah, can no, go no, and,
1: and I agree with you. That's, you can clearly see a difference now if versus if you go back six, seven years. Yeah, You have the business roundtable in the U.S. where they clearly are stating now that you know it's more than just providing profit to your shareholders. Mm. You actually need to be able to see that if you exist as a company, as a purpose-driven company, you need to be able to show positive effects to society, to people, to the environment, to to shareholders as well. And we're coming back to this triple bottom line, the three P's, the the people, Mm -hmm. the planet and the profit dimension. And I think, you know, as a frame of mind, that that is three P's that are pretty powerful. Um, And and the profit, we know very well how to measure. And we measure it, as you said, quarterly, every quarter, if not more. And and uh, that the whole system is built up around that on the planet planet dimension, mm. we are seeing that companies and industries are collectively now uh, disclosing their carbon footprint. They're using science based target to reach the zero net zero emission by two thousand and fifty or before. So we're getting some sort of measurement around climate as well. I just came back from Sweden the other week, and in one of the uh, the uh, restaurants uh, that I happened to be in, uh, lunch restaurant, they had the menu of eight different uh, dishes. And beneath them, they had the carbon footprint.
0: That's excellent. Yeah,
1: so it's 0. 0.7 kilograms of CO2 uh, equivalents. And hamburger was, of course, the biggest, which was mm. four kilograms or so of CO2. Uh, so, so we're starting to be able to measure and sort of get a, a feeling for how much is... CO two, how much yeah. is the CO two uh, impact? Where I think, and, and we're doing a whole bunch of stuff with that within GSMA and the mobile community. Um, but where I think the real challenge is, is going to be going forward is the people dimension, where we're pretty bad in measuring. How do you measure the the skills? How do you measure the uh, um, engagement? How do you measure that people are actually in a workplace where they can thrive? I mean, we do have our employee surveys, uh, but that's a very thin measurement, and it's only for one company. It's not sort of a holistic, global measurement on, on a people mm. dimension. So I think the next barrier, you know, let's say that the profit is done, Planet is sort of on the right trajectory, sort of people I, I don't think we have even started i
0: think there's some interesting startups but again the the clue is in the word startup that are starting to look at this and provide that type of service for business focusing on people
1: oh that would be great that yeah. i would like to learn more yeah. about that yeah
0: I'll share some because uh
1: yeah and, and i mean if you go back to the, the mobile industry on the, on the planet side we, we this we um, um uh, at the united nations general assembly week which was two weeks ago in New York, we uh, released the fact that we have 50 plus mobile operators globally, and those 50 are the big ones. They stand for roughly two thirds of all mobile subscribers globally. It's huge. Two thirds, those 50 uh, companies, uh, and they have now committed to disclose their carbon footprint through CDP, and also using science-based target to go to net zero by 2050 or earlier. And if you look at how much CO2 a mobile phone actually produces. If I would call you, or let me put it this way, you use your smartphone, fully loaded smartphone, with all mm-hmm. your apps and all your games and what have you on it, and you use that for a full year. Everything that requires charging your phone, making sure that the network is is powered up, and all the routers, all the service that needs to be there, that is um, uh, that is equivalent, That 60 kilograms of CO2. If you drive so, your car, hmm. that's equivalent to 300 kilometers.
0: Uh, I, I don't own a car to, for, for no, that no, neither, reason. Neither do I. <laughs> neither do I but but it, it's equivalent to, yes. to
1: 30, 300 kilometers. Or it's equivalent to eating eight hamburgers.
0: Just ate hamburgers, just eight amazing. Hamburgers, yeah. And I think being able or to measure own, things. Or owning is, a dog for two weeks. Yeah, oh god. Uh, <laughs> hashtag ambitions. Yeah. Um, I think being able to dog? not yet, but yeah. someday, uh, I aspire to Be okay. a dog owner, unfortunately. Um, well, then you can't have it. As well. <laughs> I'll have to offset it somehow. But I do think being able to measure things is really important. And. And again, that kind of brings me to the unsexy stuff as well in my world. It's like, how do we measure the impact of regulations rather than saying, well, that was a good idea or we agree with the principles. How do we know when they actually work? And what I worry, you you kind of inferred a little bit to populism earlier on. And what we're seeing is politicians understandably looking at kind of what are the shiny things that we can focus on in terms of technology. And, and there's a lot of buzzwords. How do we regulate AI, um, competition policy? Um, how do we create the next Google in Europe? Mm. Climate change. But a lot of the solutions that we're really looking for is the stuff that doesn't grab the headlines. Mm. Uh, how can policymakers? fix the tax system for startups VAT so boring don't understand it but absolutely crucial Mm. for businesses Um, how can we have better impact assessments when proposals are made whether it's on climate change to the ethics of AI creating a framework around that that to 5G how do we uh, measure for that or how do how do we think the way businesses need to do impact assessments on what they if they achieve success at scale what will be the positives and benefits we need to understand that for regulation as well we need that mindset and we are trying to do it more and more in europe it's just there's there's a lot of pressing headline issues and how do we get the policymakers to focus on the stuff that isn't quite as appealing mm,
1: but you said something I- initially that triggered me because i think um, you know you wanted to work in europe the i can't remember what you said the uh, head office of regulation or something like that right there's a lot of regulation going yes. on in europe And and I I wonder if it is not uh, that can become the advantage of being European, that we are uh, somewhat perceived as somewhat slow, but we're also very thorough when it comes to regulation. We we are very well thought through. We don't always get it right, but we're very very well thought through. GDPR is, is one example. We're really trying to be ahead of the game, like it or not. But regulating my privacy, my protecting my data to some mm. extent at least. And I wonder if it's not in this crazy age of rapid development of, of technology and, uh, and new opportunities, it can sometimes be pretty good to be really quick, but actually do it slowly.
0: And a kind of advantage for businesses that are born here in Europe as well. Europe is our home market for regulation, so we can easily have that abroad as well. Um, I, you know GDPR is such a loaded term now but as a, as a user of the internet I see the fact that I can ask for my data to be deleted or returned to me as an amazing right and almost anywhere in the world with almost any company in the world I now have that right because that regulation has been exported in so many ways yeah. so I don't think we should we should not take it for granted There's there are some bits of the GDPR that the over-reliance on consent and always having to tick boxes is that really informing us as users there's still big questions around it but I think the fundamental rights it gives us is fantastic and I think that has been easier for European born businesses to implement globally so there's something to be said about that but also as you say thinking these things through Mm. and thinking about what do we want. We want technology to benefit more people in society. Mm. So how do we create an environment where that actually happens Mm. and the right types of startups Mm. get that investment and support in the right regulatory environment or a chance to sandbox their ideas? That's really important. No, I
1: I completely agree. But you should know that this is uh, not the sentiment everywhere in the world <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, <Keenier> aware <laughs> uh, yeah. so i think you know one needs to be a little bit uh, humble also to try to understand the the, the different sides of, uh, of of regulation
0: and regulation on its own does not create jobs and we do want growth in jobs and
1: and from a business perspective we can sort of live with bad regulation as long as it's there and it doesn't flip-flop because when yeah. it starts to flip-flop that's when uncertainty comes in Investments will just shy away immediately because I don't mm. know what's going to happen in the future. But if you have regulation, good or bad, preferably good, but if they're mm. you know, a regulation, but keep them. Keep them yeah. steady and only do minor adjustments to them. I mean, we're, we're, we're swimming in regulation activities right now, both that from a security and telecoms, perspective yes. uh, and also from uh, data protection. Uh, how, how are we able to move data from one country to another, mm. for instance? Uh, on a global scale which is is not easy mm. um uh, which is absolutely needed in in times of crisis take ebola for instance or, or other uh, uh, you know uh, natural disasters uh, where we do need to ma- be able to share data across borders in order to prevent those or sometimes not that's prevent at least
0: personal data or perhaps not completely Anonymous and, yeah. Possibly. I mean, it, Or it
1: could be sort of a movement dates so of, mm. of individuals so to see how, where are the big mass of people moving. Where were you? Or is, are you coming from an infected area yeah. or not an infected area? You know, all that stuff uh, is s- something that would be super beneficial for us. And that's what we, as an industry, in a way failed in the first Ebola crisis. can't remember mm. now, It was 10 years ago or so, where we were far too slow to react we could have become much smarter in setting up treatment centers and awareness campaigns because we knew where people were coming we're doing that right now in with tuberculosis in India uh, tuberculosis is the infectious disease that kills the most people almost 5,000 people die per day every day from tuberculosis where India is the most affected now by examining movement patterns from mobile phones we can now predict with some certainty where the next outbreak will happen. And therefore, we can set up these treatment centers and That's awareness so campaigns before yeah. before they actually happen. And we can save tons of people's lives. I mean, we're talking millions of people's lives. And that, for me, is a very concrete example of the usage, the benefit usage of AI, big data, and also having access to, to, to movements of, of individuals.
0: Hearing those use cases really brings to life you know, what's at stake when we talk about AI? Because as we were kind of talking about earlier on, it's uh, a lot of people are scared of it, they don't really understand it. And I always, uh, to quote Andrew Ng, who's a great kind of AI leader and inventor, he describes it as electricity. It's going to power things, it's super automation. And the question then is, how do we regulate it? Does it need regulation? We have in Europe um, a high-level group of experts looking at the ethics, how to create an ethical framework. They're actually piloting now, that now with a couple of hundred companies and organizations, which I think is quite a good practical way of approaching it, to create a framework, whether that's hard or soft legislation, we don't know yet. But, but then we're going to come to the specifics of AI. Should there be specific uses of AI, such as facial recognition? that we could should create specific rules around or should we look at more general laws around transparency of algorithms accountability explainability and these are the big questions we're facing right now um do we perhaps look at a couple of use cases and maybe regulate them and see how that works or do we go kind of across the board it's it's such a huge area um it's it's hard to know which way to go
1: yeah no absolutely and i, I again i think the The smartest way is to do this in small steps. Yeah. Because if you try to uh, sit in in your chamber somewhere and come up with this fantastic uh, regulation or legislation, it just won't fly. I think one needs to be so careful um, of doing the wrong things.
0: I'm, and I'm quite impressed with how the European Commission has basically deployed experts from academia, business and privacy groups to form this high level expert group and run this pilot project on ethical AI. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the outcome. I really want this to succeed and, and inform us on kind of a practical way forward. We shall see. But I think it's definitely one of the big questions. Yeah,
1: Maybe what is the greatest challenges? and opportunities as, I, as a leader in this 21st century?
0: I think I see challenges and opportunities sometimes as the same thing. I think diversity for me and often when I speak on panels and it's usually a group of men and myself, I'm always asked the diversity question. I'm not a diversity expert. I just happen to be a woman. However, um, I, I do think, as I alluded to earlier on, on unless technology benefits more people, then there's what's, what's the point? You know, It's just a kind of a specialist uh, thing. And unless we have more people making and making decisions about these technologies that, again, look and sound different, then we're not really making things for the world. It's not a digital world. So, again, measurement comes in really helpful here. I know the GSMA, as does King. In the UK, for example, we report on our gender pay gap. Um, I'm sure, like us, you have a lot of initiatives to... For on wider diversity issues, we have hiring targets on, you know, getting different types of people into the business and numbers, hard numbers that we're trying to really measure ourselves by. So and we're investing in schools that value diversity and look to recruit different types of people to teach them digital skills. But we have a long way to go. It's still, you know, it's it's still a world in, in technology uh, that is that is led by a certain demographic and we're missing out on so much talent.
1: That's exactly what I say. We we work a lot with number five, S D G number five, gender equality. <clears throat> and you know, there's a million stats around how two hundred million fewer women than men owns a mobile phone and if you look at the, the internet access that's up to 23% less uh, that's but a huge, massive difference yeah but it's a huge variation if you go yeah. to Africa or South Asia it's 50% Africa is at least 40% less uh, t- I, I normally take Argentina as example if you go to Buenos Aires 50-50 but if you just go mm. 300 kilometers outside of Buenos Aires it is you have this 25% less women accessing internet than men so it, it is a massive thing, and, and I exactly echo what you say. It's, it's from multiple different angles important to get women, but also other people from other ethnicity in on technology. But predominantly, we have been fishing talent from 50% of the talent pool. And,
0: and it's so is, expensive, right? If we're talking numbers, just, it's really expensive not, to recruit people.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that is just not working anymore. Yeah. We need to have the best top people. And I can bet you it's going to be 100% of the talent pool that we need to fish from. Yeah, there, and we are not good at this yet.
0: There are so many statistics saying how there's loads of tech jobs in and around Europe and the world that haven't been filled or won't be filled because there's not a lot of people with the right types of skills. As you say, we're, that's because we're fishing from a really small pool. Yeah, we we need to expand it.
1: Yeah, we need to expand it. But how, I mean, I, I'm intrigued with uh, King and, and you are sort of symbolizing the new the new industry gaming <laughs> maybe it's not new but but it, a digital version of it i think uh, is mobile new.
0: gaming is high growth it's yeah. now outpacing console and pc it's i always say democratizes gaming because you have a lot more pe- different types of people who will play casual games especially because they own a mobile phone we're not going to solve world hunger making mobile games however we're going to employ people, it is an, uh, a market that uh, has a lot of SMEs and not just big businesses like King. And I think Europe is like singularly very good at making mobile games because it's quite a creative industry as well. So yeah, I think um, it's, I see this as a developer and I think the app economy itself is huge. Growing off the back of the mobile phone, I think it was Business Insider who said, um, I think it was the app economy is was worth 1.6 trillion. Mm-hmm. Back in 2017, by 2021, it'll be, it'll increase by fourfold, something like that. I mean, huge growth, um, uh, potential for lots of tif- different types of businesses to get involved in that. And games is a very big part of that. As and well. how do you
1: see leadership linked to this new industry? I mean, the leaders of such as yourself, are you. Uh, are you sort of arguing differently than if you would be from a more established industry? Do you think, or is it?
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I think as well, it's the European element as well, and and I sit in King's London office, but obviously we're very strongly Swedish as a business, uh, we have big offices in Barcelona and you know Berlin. We have offices around Europe, so it's a nice kind of mix of attitudes and cultural backgrounds, and I think there's. And I think, as much as you maybe, the games industry—you know—we're quite passionate people. I'm—I'm I'm not the greatest gamer in the world, but I think that those in my in my business who are who really come from that background—they're—they're they're exceptionally passionate about what they do, and they translate that into how the business is run as well. Yeah. So we're quite vocal with leadership internally, and I think making sure your employees have a strong voice and ways of communicating issues to leadership uh, sounds simple, but actually hard to do well.
1: Yeah. No, I think w- we see a similar thing, even though our industry is becoming much more established, but clearly uh, the, the three piece, uh, as we said, profit, mm. people and planet, or at least having a purpose driven organization is key to get new employees to want to come and work for you. So they ask, so what is your position on the climate? What is your yeah. position on gender? What is your position on inclusion? Uh, is this really, are you purpose-driven? What's your purpose? So it, it's it's much more complicated I- in a way now than it was 10, 15 years ago to to get talent in. Uh, previously, it was just a matter of money, paying well, and you got people. Yeah. Today, that is no longer the case. You need to be much more holistic in your approach. And I think that's where the, the leadership angle slightly changes and i would think that gaming being such a high growth industry are are seeing that and and you're confirming it as well we're
0: definitely seeing it and we're competing against big tech as well for the types of people we hire and, and not just in the technical roles and we have to you know and we often associate this with the younger generation saying you know they're much more they'll go and start up their own business more easily or they will, you know, look at other companies that are more mission driven if, if they feel that you're not. But I feel that with, with my generation, I feel that as I actually um, grow into my career more, wherever I move to next, whenever that happens, it absolutely has to be a business that I believe in or yeah, an organization right. that, you know, I, it's principles I support and I feel proud working for. It's yeah. That's an essential part of the package now.
1: Right, No, no I, exactly, and I think that's why if you look around here in GSMA, you would find the equal amount of passion from everyone. Mm. I mean, you're here because you believe you believe in, in technology, you believe that technology can really shape the world and, and can to some extent um, alleviate or, or actually hit the SDG targets. I mean, that's the reason why we were the first industry to commit all 17 goals. That's fantastic. Because we have this enormous platform. We reach 5.2 billion people on a daily basis through your mobile device. So if we're going to change the course of this planet, I'm pretty sure that a mobile operator needs to be part of the solution somewhere.
0: I suppose I think we're we're seeing a trend that's not reversing. I think all types of technology businesses, whether they're from the newer world of app developers, the more established mobile networks, We all realize that uh, the world has changed and we are changing with it and need to do more. And it's not just about your quarterly returns. It's not just about uh, finding people in your business with the right culture fit anymore. It's actually about finding different types of people that challenge your business. And we're both optimistic perhaps about, you know, the benefits of technology spreading even more. Mm.
1: Yeah, and I, I would echo exactly that. I think the the three P's is is coming back in a way, but it's also really interesting to listen to you being sort of you're part of the same ecosystem. You without mm-hmm. us, you wouldn't exist. Exactly. Uh, and without you, we would have a, a less good world. So it's it's a very <laughs> it's a very good symbiosis between us, and I think we 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 are sort of faced with the same regulatory hurdles the same regulatory opportunity we need yes. to h- work hard on regulation but we also need to work hard on educating um, uh, doing proper outreach to people to, for them to understand maybe not only politicians regularly but also consumers and, and other, uh, other groups of people that need to understand the benefits and the pitfalls of technology uh, and I think that's the new leadership uh, profile that one needs to have you need to mm. be skilled business person you need to be understanding purpose you need to understand the people and the planet dimension no doubt you need to understand the the 17 goals and i think you you said that very nicely as well so it, it's really interesting to to yeah. hear your view on on, on that and, and that you are in a high growth industry that are really looking into regulation that's pretty cool
0: i love regulation <laughs> well i wouldn't go that far but uh, i love technology <laughs>